Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney, a 2X startup founder, a UCLA Bruin with a background in engineering and an economics degree, and twice a week we'll be discussing the products, tech, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous cars as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. Today, Friday the 3rd of May, 2019, this is episode 103. Some more discussion about Tesla's autonomy day, because of course. Could autonomous cars be made safer by driving more aggressively? And what the deployment of autonomous vehicles means for congestion charges in cities. All this, right now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. All right, before we get started, just a friendly reminder, please don't forget to follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue. You can, of course, find me on LinkedIn, and you can reach out through my website at markhogue.com or or autonomoushogue.com. It's all the same. Um, But yeah, so let's dive in, because unless you've been living under a rock for the past week or so, um, you'll surely have noticed that the industry has been sort of up in arms against Elon and all the, frankly, outlandish claims that he made with respect to uh, Tesla's deployment of well, effectively level five vehicles by the end of 2020, along with Tesla's autonomous vehicle car summoning fleet, where you can effectively add your Tesla to the Tesla network, uh, which can then be summoned and uh, to, to pick up passengers and drive them around fully autonomously. So this literally flies in the face of just about every opinion, professional or otherwise, insofar as the state of the art and how far things really are away from from level five fully autonomous deployment of of vehicles. Um, You know, I don't remember if I mentioned this in the 100th episode in which I tried, obviously, to distill the full, what, three hours or so into 30 minutes. But this really would be the equivalent of, I don't know, somebody going up to the Wright brothers in 1903 and saying, hey, in a couple of years, you're going to have these aircraft these aeroplanes uh, with something called jets, jet engines, uh, which will be shuttling people around the planet at speeds approaching 80% the speed of sound. And oh yeah, they'll be capable of landing themselves on their own with a thing called autopilot. Yeah, it really would be about as outrageous outrageous as that. So so anyway, um, look, I'm obviously not going to rehash everything we discussed in episode 100. Um, but I do want to kind of take issue with a few things, um, at least to discuss them. So, so on the verge, there's an article, uh, published, um, well, shortly after Tesla autonomy day. So about a week ago, the title is, uh, it's Elon Musk versus everyone else in the race for fully driverless cars. Give it a read. Um, 
I just want to dive right in straight away and address this discussion. You know, there's so so okay. There's three really huge um, points of contention, right? So, so one of them is that lidar is just well a fool's errand, I believe is how he put it. Um, and oh yeah, by the way, HD mapping is totally unnecessary. And by 2020, they're going to have their fleet of, well, the Tesla network fleet of fully autonomous cars, which can drive around and pick people up so that you can make money off your car, which is obviously the end game. Nobody disputes that. But the fact is he's making all these claims as if they're going to be deployed by the end of next year. Um, Look, obviously, as a Tesla shareholder, obviously, I hope he's right. But again, as I said before, because I'm a Tesla shareholder, this kind of freaks me out because this is a really impossibly bold claim. Um... So it's important to kind of, I think, dissect it and really understand what's going on. Um, so, so okay, so I want to dive into the issue about LiDAR, right? So, again, he claimed that LiDAR uh, is a fool's errand. Uh, I think that's how he put it. Um, and in particular, his argument was that LiDAR is, well, useless with cameras because it replicates the visible light spectrum. Before I get into this, I just need to make a side comment here. Um you know, nobody takes issue with the fact that Elon, well, let me put it this way. Nobody takes issue with using uh, cameras. You know, computer vision is is fine, good to use, and in fact, necessary in tandem with LiDAR. You know, nobody's saying that LiDAR on its own is sufficient. Nobody's saying that cameras with computer vision, with AI computer vision are sufficient. Everyone is arguing that you need the two working in tandem. Uh, and in fact, this is obviously what AI dot AI, spelled A E Y E dot AI. You know that's what they're up to. If you remember a few episodes back, several weeks ago, we had on the show um, Blair Lacourt, the president of AI, um, and that's really what they're all about, right? It's 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 effectively trying to simulate the visual cortex of the brain and, and human eyes by essentially merging into a hybrid solution the the camera vision feed the computer vision feed from the cameras, uh, as well as the LiDAR to produce sort of a hybrid 2D, 3D view of the world. <clears throat> the issue here, of course, is that Elon is saying, no, you just don't need LiDAR at all. The computer vision is completely sufficient. So in this article by The Verge, um, there's a senior analyst at Navigant. Um, his name is Sam Abil Samid. If I'm not mistaken, Navigant's the firm that also put out this chart showing effectively sort of how far along all the various autonomous car companies are at this state of the game. Um, anyway, he says that that Musk's argument that LiDAR is useless because it replicates visible light is just wrong. And his argument is that, well, of course it's wrong because the human eye responds to wavelengths from about 380 to 740 nanometers. This, of course, is the so-called visual part of the spectrum that we've all learned about since high school. You know, LiDAR, of course, operates typically at either 905 or 1550 nanometers. We did a pretty deep dive on the technical differences between the two wavelengths um, quite a few episodes back. It's worth listening to if you haven't yet. I should say already this is a misquote because LiDAR doesn't operate in ranges between 905 and 1550. I mean, I suppose it could theoretically, but 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 effectively you've got two flavors of LiDAR, LiDAR currently in uh, development, uh, 905 nanometers and 1550. Uh, one is cheaper than the other, uh, but doesn't have the range. The more expensive one has the range, and you know, so you can see the issue there. Um, Elon wasn't trying to argue that the human eye 
the, you know, the visible part of the spectrum to the human eye is the same as the, as the uh, wavelength or as the frequency at which LIDAR operates. That's a foolish claim to even, it's a foolish claim if he had made it and he didn't make it. And to even argue that he had made such a claim is doubly foolish because it's just a, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. Um, Obviously just looking at the numbers, clearly LIDAR uh, operates at a, frequency outside of the visible spectrum if that weren't the case we would well see lidar shooting out from cars all around us as we drove by autonomous test vehicles and that would be super annoying super quickly um now what 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 he was saying was that not that lidar operates in the visible part of part of the spectrum what he was saying was that the end result of what lidar accomplishes is that it produces a point cloud a 3d model of the visible part of the world. Well, to state that a different way, LIDAR literally creates a model of the world. It produces a model in 3D space of precisely what your eyes can see, albeit to a lower fidelity. And that is an accurate statement. So to put it a different way, his point was, you know, LIDAR isn't some magical thing that can sort of see through barriers. It can't see through walls or through trucks and vehicles. No, it's it's literally a line of sight technology. It can see whatever your eyes can see. And, well, that's what cameras do. The difference, Elon says, is that with cameras, though, you've got this AI backend, which, is a, which enables this really powerful you know, computer vision to make greater sense of the world. So it's not just seeing it. It's actually understanding it. And not only that, oh yeah, by the way, because it uses a system of binocular vision, well, just like humans, it's able to merge the two cameras' feeds to create, wait for it, a 3D model of the world. And if you haven't seen it yet, it's a pretty astounding video. It's a great demo. It was never before shown until Tesla Autonomy Day, so if you haven't seen it, make sure to go check it out. But yeah, it actually created, you know, they they demonstrate a, a video of of this three-dimensional model of the world produced by the cameras on the Tesla. And for all intents and purposes, at least f- as far as the video is concerned, yeah, it's a super high-fidelity three-dimensional video, um, which admittedly looks a lot better than anything I've ever seen with LiDAR. So so, so just, you know, from the start of it, this this claim, you know, th- this, this idea to just sort of this... I guess, intent or this desire to kind of just fault Elon and then to use a blatantly logically flawed claim that he was saying, you know, cameras and LIDAR operate at the same wavelength and that they do the exact same thing. That's just, that's a flawed argument. That isn't what he was saying. He was saying not that they operate at the same wavelength, but rather they, you know, they, they produce the same effect and you end up with essentially a redundant system. Now, some might argue that, well, that's precise, precisely the point, that it, you want a redundant system, that that's the idea. Um, that would be a valid argument, I suppose. That, that, that I'm okay with that argument. Um, but uh, as it stands, that, that claim is just simply not valid. So, all right, so, so let's dive into the next thing, right? So the next big thing, of course, was mapping. So... This was huge. Uh, as a reminder, I had been invited by Here Technologies to CES 2019 back in January in Las Vegas um, just to help moderate three days worth of talks. So I got pretty in on the whole HD mapping thing. And, it, you know, it made a lot of sense. This notion of kind of crowdsourcing um, all this data and updating effectively in real time. So just to give a really obvious example, you know, suppose that 
you've got a road, um, yeah, you've got a road going through an intersection and one day it's a stop sign there and the other day, it's, you know, the next day it's a stop light. Okay, well, all the cars going by can update that data right away. Or maybe a telephone pole or a tree has fallen and fallen down to block a road. Well, maps can be updated right away. You know, I, I see the value there. The, the idea is that you can then, you know, the cars have an idea of what's going on before they get there. And that's certainly a fine idea. Um, but, you know, the, weirdly, there's two things that I think are wrong from both, both points of view. So Elon, I think, hmm, I'm not going to presume to say that he was wrong necessarily. Maybe he just sort of misspoke. Uh, I agree that if you assume HD maps the way he seemed to discuss them, that is, they're effectively static, then yeah, those are pretty useless. I agree. I didn't hear him actually address the, um, you know, the use case for these so-called real-time self-healing maps, you know, maps that update, well, in real time. Um, I, I'm curious what he thinks about those in particular. And in this case, of course, I'm referring to the likes of Here Technologies and others who are trying to do precisely that. I would, I would imagine that they have some value greater than zero, um, and in any event should be much better than static maps. Um, I don't know. Um, the, the other issue is that, you know, it, it, it's true that if you extrapolate to its logical conclusion, the end game is that camera vision, uh, I should say computer vision uh, with cameras, um, you know, if we assume that they will, in fact, be as good as human eyes and the visual cortex, then, of course, by definition, you shouldn't need real-time maps. I mean, we humans have static maps, and that's been fine in the past, but we certainly don't have real-time maps to constantly update us whenever things go wrong. You know, we see an obstacle in front of us. We see a tree fall over or a telephone, you know, an electrical pole in the road or whatever. You know, that's up. You know, we, we, uh, we adapt to that in real time. We don't need to rely on sort of our sat-nav warning us in advance. Okay, yeah, I guess one could argue that apps like Waze, you know, they effectively do precisely that. Um, It's true, but we certainly did fine before we ever had Waze, and I would argue it's a nice-to-have, not a need-to-have feature. So, yeah, so depending on how you look at this, it's it's all kind of, it's just kind of a lot of back-and-forth discussion. Um, I could obviously go on about this forever, but I want to touch on two other topics today before signing off. Um, I will wrap it up, though, for now by just saying, you know, finally, with respect to the third point, the deployment of the Tesla fleet, the, the Tesla network, you know, car sharing, you know, adding your car to the fleet and so on. I, I think I wrapped up also in the 100th episode saying this, but it's worth saying again. It's highly improbable this will actually go live by 2020. In fact, I, I agree with others because I've said as much myself since the beginning of this, of this podcast 14 months ago, which is that level five is at an absolute minimum five years out, realistically more like 10 years out, and it could be in the 15 to 20 year range for full level five deployment. So yeah, if he's able to accomplish anything even close to this, meaning effectively level five, although now that I've said that, that really just means really good level four, but but, but let's just say even if he gets level five deployed, and even if he's a year or two or three or even anything up to five years late, you know, compared to what he's promised, that's still an astonishing accomplishment. And yeah, this effectively destroys all other competitors just like that. I mean, literally, if he gets this on the road in the next two, three, even four years, I mean, honestly, Uber, Waymo, Lyft, 
arguably all the automobile companies, the oil companies, everyone's basically done. Or at least if they're not dead, they'll be dying in the subsequent years to follow. I mean, this is really an astonishing thing. Um, You know, it's easy to fault and criticize and ridicule Elon for these claims. And I get it. There's a difference as between landing, you know, launching rockets and landing them vertically. I get it. Autonomous vehicles, achieving level five is an altogether different beast. I get that. Um, But, you know, he's so far accomplished everything he said. So I think at this point, it's a bit foolish to bet against him. I mean, why would you? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, just a brief uh, discussion here on an article over at TechCrunch. So the title of the article, it was published just uh, five days ago, uh, Autonomous Vehicles Make Congestion Pricing Even More Critical. Um, I just want to take issue with something that was said here in particular. Um, but first of all, just for those of you who aren't familiar, congestion pricing is basically a toll which is assigned uh, for driving into cities in an effort to reduce traffic. Right? So you drive into London during the day, I think you're hit with 12 pounds, which is something like, what, 15-ish dollars? Eighteen dollars? I don't know. Um, here in the U.S., I think D.C. tried something as high as forty dollars. I think New York's about to do a similar thing. But yeah, it's basically just an artificial way to keep traffic down with a financial disincentive to drive. So, so this article just—I I just want to touch on this one thing here, right? So the article says that um, you know, when not in use, autonomous vehicles need to go somewhere. There are three options: go back home, park somewhere, or circle around. Most likely, these cars will endlessly circle the streets rather than parking and paying fees. Um, I agree in part. It's true. The most likely scenario, given those three options anyway, is that, yeah, the cars will probably just drive around in circles, further clogging up the streets. We've seen this occur with Ubers and Lyft, and you know they've actually made traffic worse. In fact, as I've discussed in the past, a study conducted by Boston Consulting Group showed that if... You know, we didn't move to a car sharing model, then the deployment of autonomous vehicles would increase traffic by something like 5.6%, along with a commensurate rise in travel time. So again, autonomous cars on their own are not sufficient. We need autonomous cars that are shared rather than privately owned, meaning you cannot have empty autonomous cars. So and you can see where I'm going with this. There aren't just three options to go home, park somewhere, or circle around. Rather, there's the fourth and frankly, the most obvious option, which is to Add your car to a network, which can then be summoned by ride-hailing passengers to be autonomously picked up and driven around. This, of course, is the whole premise of Tesla's, um, well, what's it called? The Tesla network, I guess. Um, And again, the end game is awesome for everybody, right? Not only will it help reduce traffic, but it will enable you to make money on your car, right? So the total cost of ownership is effectively negative, meaning you will earn money rather than lose money over the total life of your car. The total cost of ownership will yeah, we'll be negative. You'll, you'll make money. Um, so, so yeah, so that's, that's kind of where this is all headed. Um, now obviously the question becomes, well, how do you, how do you enforce this? Well, I, I guess really that question is asking, you know, how do you ensure that you don't have empty cars running around? Well, obviously a financial incentive is, is the way to go. You certainly gonna have to penalize empty cars and yeah, there is precedent for this carpool lanes on freeways, right? 
If you're caught violating the carpool lane, at least here in California, it's a pretty hefty uh, hefty fine. I want to say something like three hundred and ninety dollars. I think it's some oddball figure, four hundred and ninety. I don't know what it is, but it's expensive. Granted, enforcement isn't that easy. I mean, it relies on a highway patrol officer happening to look inside your car. And we've heard all sorts of funny stories where I know somewhere uh, somebody once here in Marin County years ago on the one hundred and one freeway actually put a lifelike dummy, like some sort of a doll in the passenger seat. <laughs> Nevertheless, the the uh, highway patrol officer realized it and pulled them over and gave them a gave them a citation, of course. But, you know, so at the lower end of things, of course, you can just eyeball it. If you see an empty car, they're going to be pulled over and they're going to get a really hefty fine. On the high end of things, maybe cameras throughout the city can actually look inside the car, see if you've got, you know, see if the car is empty or not. Maybe one of the conditions to deploy autonomous cars for such a network will have to require sensors in the seats to show whether there's passengers. I don't know. There's all sorts of different ways you can go about doing this. I mean, I'm not going to try to come up with a solution right now off the top of my head while recording this, but suffice to say that is the, that is the best option. This is the fourth option and it's the best and that's where things are going to go. So I'm not really sure why this TechCrunch article failed to discuss this, but uh, anyway, there you have it. Um, Autonomous car sharing for the win. All right, we are going way over time. So to wrap things up today, just a brief, somewhat tongue-in-cheek discussion about an article over at Car and Driver from April 29. Autonomous cars can improve traffic safety by driving more like assholes. Um, I don't know if that means I have to mark this episode as explicit. Do I? I don't think that's an explicit word. Not anymore, anyway. Um, yeah, it, it is sort of tongue-in-cheek, but there's a, there's a pretty valid uh, point to be made here, which is that well, for those of you who have tried any of the various semi-autonomous systems, even uh, even Tesla, with the latest software updates, which I have had the chance to try, they they tend to dawdle a bit. They're not super decisive, are they? Um, and one thing in particular that drives me nuts, even with Tesla, is that if you've got autopilot engaged and if you come to a stop, say, you know, you stop at a red light, and the cars in front of you start to go, they accelerate really, really, really slowly, like way too slowly. Like if, if I was driving behind them, I'd be honking at them slowly. So, you know, and then you look at the lane change. I've been experimenting a bit with Navigate on autopilot now and then when I get the chance. And, um, yeah, I'm just going to say it. I'm not a fan. I don't think it works well. In fact, I keep disengaging it for two main reasons. One reason is even on Mad Max mode, it just isn't decisive enough. Like it signals, awaits like two or three seconds before moving, at which point someone's already inevitably cut you off. Um, if you've got like a freeway merge further down the road, down the freeway, it'll start to move you over to the to the rightmost lane like five miles early. It's just it's just way way too kind of inefficient to the point that I started turning it off pretty quickly. Um, look, I get it. This is a work in progress. That's fine. That, that's why I'm saying this. Um, and I get that Elon said they're going to have a more aggressive mode, which will potentially increase the risk of a small fender bender to some non-zero value. And his whole point was, and really the point of this article is that, ironically, by making cars drive a bit more aggressively, it can actually help improve traffic. Um, You know, as as I've said before, I used to live in LA and and San Diego, and um, ever since I moved back to San Francisco, I actually took the rather unpopular view that I find drivers in LA are actually better than San Francisco. I feel that they just don't dawdle. You know, some people find it rude if you, you know, do a lot of aggressive lane changes, if you change lanes without signaling. And I've said, look, the logic in LA is if you have time to, if you can change lanes, just do it. Don't ask my permission to let you change lanes in front of me. Don't signal, 
make me slow down, make me hit, God forbid, don't make me hit the brakes to let you in. Just if you see a hole, take it. Just don't wait. Don't hold me up. That's kind of the attitude of LA. And I think people just interpret that as being rude. Um, to be you know, on the flip side, I've never really experienced anybody ever cutting me off um, as much as I have here in San Francisco, but that's a different discussion. I mean, the, the point though is that, yeah, there is something to be said about not dawdling. And, but if you can help autonomous cars be a bit more aggressive, a bit more, let's not use the word aggressive. Let's use the word assertive, right? I think being assertive is the opposite to dawdling insofar as driving is concerned anyway. Uh, I think that would go a long way. So yeah, I, I definitely kind of agree with that. Um, because yeah, as it stands now, I, I find navigate on autopilot, um, uh, intriguing at best a novelty, but not really so useful. I don't find the auto line, the auto lane change to be sufficiently uh, effective or efficient. So I don't really use that either, at least in very unusual circumstances. Um, So, so yeah, I'm all for it. Indeed. Let's make autonomous cars a bit more assertive. All right, well, that's a wrap for today and indeed for this week. Thank you so much for listening as always. If you're enjoying the show, please continue to share it with your friends and colleagues. And as a reminder, if you want to be a guest on the show, just head on over to markhoag.com. There's a link in the top right corner where you can submit a booking request. That's the only way I'll be taking guest bookings for the show going forward. But yeah, have a wonderful rest of the weekend. I'll see you back here on Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.